Okay, please turn to the book of Ephesians. I will be reading Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Ephesians 5, verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Father, this morning, I ask for that. To be filled with the Spirit to speak clearly, boldly, Your Word. May the Spirit of a teacher be upon me this morning to serve Your people. To the glory of Christ's name and to the satisfaction of us who are being saved by Him. Amen. Last week we discussed the Pentecostal and charismatic interpretation of the term the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And we saw that in Pentecostalism they understand that happening of Jesus baptizing in the Holy Spirit to be normally not only distinct from new birth, but normally subsequent to three weeks after you're saved. Or 30 years, or 50 years, or even though you're saved, maybe never you received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Just in the last couple of weeks, one of my wife's very close and dear friends, and it used to be her roommate, let her know that her teenage daughter went up recently at a church service to the altar call in order to receive, quote unquote, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. It's something distinct from what happens at new birth or when you first come to faith in Christ. Last week... I argued that the idea that the baptism in the Holy Spirit is a second, subsequent, time gap from new birth, blessing, second blessing from being saved, and that it normally is something that happens with a time gap in between initial salvation, that it's just not biblical. But that the norm is that... New birth, which produces saving faith, you come to faith in Christ. And then the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is different than new birth. But normally in the church age, I argue, they happen at the same time. Simultaneously with no time gap. In other words, in the world there are only two peoples. Those who are Christians. And those who are not. Christians. And within the body of Christ, there's no division between super spiritual Christians who have received the baptism in the Holy Spirit and not so spiritual Christians who have not received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. That biblically, there is not this idea of two levels, two tiers of spirituality within the body of Christ. This idea of the haves. Oh, we're all Christians, but they have the fullness of the Spirit. Oh, they're Christians, but they don't have that 
submerging or baptism in the Spirit. I've argued that it's just not biblical that there are these two tiers, but that baptism and new birth means baptism in the Holy Spirit and new birth normally happen at the same time. And just real quickly, what are we to understand for all of those people in the context of Pentecostalism and or the charismatic movement that something has happened to many of their lives positively. Where a passion for Jesus, for the Bible, for the things of God came alive in a way that they weren't before. I think one of two things in general happen. One is, many of these people, even though they're raised in the church or churchgoers or church members for years and agree with the statement of faith of Christianity, what really happened to many of them is they got born again. They heard things preached in a different way and God moved and they got saved. But they're told, well, what you really got, you're already saved, but you got baptized in the Holy Spirit. Or, I think many of them were already born again. But they did experience something in their own life that bore fruit throughout their life of a passion for Christ that they weren't experiencing in a way before. And I think what was happening to them was that they were being filled with the Spirit again and again and again. And that brings us to what we're doing here this morning. This is the sixth week in the series on the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And this morning, that is our topic. Last week's topic was the baptism in the Holy Spirit. This week, it is that other term, being filled with the Holy Spirit. In the book of the Acts of the Apostles, we don't see anybody experiencing the baptism in the Holy Spirit a second time. Just once. But we do see people experiencing this other term, being filled again and again with the Holy Spirit. For instance, Peter... On the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, Peter was there, one of the 120, and the text says not only by implication of what came before, that they were baptized in the Spirit, but it says explicitly, and they were all filled with the Spirit. And then you turn to Acts chapter 4, and Peter's before the Jewish leadership, and they're not very pleased, and then the text says, again, here's Peter, and Peter, being filled with the Holy Spirit, again, spoke boldly. They leave there. They gather with a bunch of Christians. And they're in a house. And they're praying. And then the text says again, with Peter there. And they were then all filled with the Holy Spirit. Happened again and again. We see it with Stephen. The apostle said, look, we can't bother with dealing with food and the widows. We've got to get some spiritual men. So find those who are filled with the Spirit, like Stephen says he's filled with the Spirit. Later on, you find Stephen preaching, and then, again, and then boom, where he really needed it. And Stephen, being filled with the Holy Spirit, spoke so boldly it got him killed. Here's the point. As Christians... 
no matter what tradition you come from, we are to be persons who every day are pursuing the filling and infilling and influencing of God Himself, the Holy Spirit, upon our lives. Biblically, the baptism in the Holy Spirit is a one-time event. Being filled, coming up out of your inner being, of the Holy Spirit affecting us is an ongoing event that we should be pursuing. So, here are the two questions I'm going to attempt to answer this morning. One, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? And number two, okay, okay, I want that. What do I do? How? How do we go about pursuing being filled with the Holy Spirit? So, First, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? There it comes. It means to come more and more under the influence of God the Holy Spirit. And thus, less at those given moments, times, periods of your day, less under the influence of your flesh, your sinful Desires and sinful nature. Okay, let me just break that down a little bit more. At the core, here's my argument. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is being filled with joy in God. To one degree or level or another. To be filled with the Spirit is to be filled with joy in God, in Christ, in the Gospel. The Apostle Peter assumes that that joy is at the essence and the core of what it is to be a Christian. There are levels and degrees of experience of that joy in our lives up and down, but he assumes that the seed of that joy in Christ is in you if you're a Christian. And if you're, even if you're a church member and, and you're, you're a professing Christian, and, but you say, okay, I'm not agree intellectually with that stuff, but what are you talking about this joy in Jesus? You're probably not a Christian. You probably haven't been born again. Listen to how Peter says this in 1 Peter 1, verses 8. Verse 8. Though you have not seen Him, Jesus in flesh, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible. And it's filled with glory. Now, that does not mean, oh, okay, I'm a Christian, go to church, put on a plastic happy face. That is not what Peter's talking about. This is a real, deep-seated work of the Holy Spirit's indwelling and overflowing to one degree of another. It is real. It is not about giddiness. 
It is about a profound depth of joy that in the context of 1 Peter is a joy that's experienced while people are crying in grief because there's much pain in life. That is God's sovereign work in molding the believers. And so there's this profound sense of the genuine Christian life that while it experiences and in the context of grief and pain, nevertheless on a deeper level, there is a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. In other words... We are to be desperate to look at ourselves every day and say, do I have any joy? And let that be the barometer. Are you pursuing being filled with the Holy Spirit? To be filled with the Holy Spirit is to be filled with the joy of God, which is personified in the Holy Spirit. Now, as we read the book of Acts, we often see this infilling, or being filled, as opposed to less in a cup. Your cup is more overflowing. We see it connected with the disciples' boldness to proclaim the Word of God. Now you see the connection? the more joy that we Christians are filled with at those given moments over the truths of God in the Gospel of Jesus, just overwhelmed with that joy, or that spirit, or that joy, or that spirit, are you getting it? Then the more bold you will be at that given moment to proclaim it. Isn't that how Nehemiah said it? The joy of the Lord is our strength. Our ability. You see the connection to week number one in this series where we talked about God, the Holy Trinity, and particularly about the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, who is the personification of the Father's joy, delight, contentment, happiness, worship. The Father's worship and joy towards the Son. And the Son's reflection back as He worships and enjoys the Father, personified in the third person of the Holy Trinity. You see it yet? See, the only true, genuine joy in God that any of us human beings can experience comes from outside of us in the person of God, the Holy Spirit, who is the personification of that joy in God. That's why Peter assumes, because he already said in chapter 1, you have been born again. God the Holy Spirit came in and changed you. And thus He assumes, though you don't see Him, you love Him. And you rejoice with a joy that's inexpressible. It's otherworldly. Now, 
that joy in the Christian life is by definition wavering up and down. Sometimes, believe it or not, we are more filled with joy in Christ than at other times. Let me say that differently. Sometimes, believe it or not, we are more filled with the Holy Spirit than we are at other times. Alright, that's just, believe it or not, that's just an outline. There you go. That's at the core of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. How do we do that? How do we seek that? How do we wake up? Do I, do I make steps? Do I move? What do we do to pursue being influenced by God the Holy Spirit in our daily lives so that we can joyfully pour out in service to others? So that if you're a homeschool mom, you can go outside the door and face a house full of kids that day. How do we get filled with the Spirit in order to function? All right, here's the answer. Essentially, this is what you do. It's a biblical command. Walk by the Spirit. And that's Bible. But it seems so unhelpful in one sense. Okay, it seems redundant. Okay, my question is, how do I walk by the Spirit? Okay, so let me say it a little bit differently, but saying the same thing and see if it's more helpful. Fight the fight of faith every day. Meaning what? As you wake up, you buy your carrying with you as a genuine Christian who, and the Holy Spirit dwells in you, you also have the flesh that hates to obey God, hates to trust in God. Okay, you, it, it, it's what's going on in a real Christian. So the fight of faith is to fight, to place your trust in God and in His promises in the Word every day. Let me just give you an example. Fight every day to trust Jesus' words from Luke chapter 12. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet, God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? Not a sparrow! Seemingly insignificant little bird falls dead to the ground apart from your Father's will. Okay, just, just, just hold Jesus' words there. This is the essence of being filled with the Spirit, which is to walk by faith. Is Whatever you're going through tomorrow afternoon, you ask yourself, do I believe those words right now? And you'll find, like me, I'm certainly not feeling it nor acting like it. 
And now the fight is, God, help. My, repent, help my heart of unbelief and trust your promise here. That's the daily battle of the fight of faith. That is the daily battle of pursuing being filled by the Spirit. Listen to how the, the Apostle Paul concisely says this in Romans 15, verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. Opposite of your anxiety here. Fill you with joy and peace. Now listen to him. How? In believing. I'm a believer. What are you talking about? Oh, you're not getting it. It's one thing to be born again and to have come to saving faith. It's another thing every day to actually be trusting particular promises. And he says, your joy in God comes from faith. From believing. Oh, he's not done yet. Well, listen to what he says. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. You can't separate these in the New Testament. The essence of walking by the Spirit is trusting God. And thus joy rises. Listen to how Paul says it in Romans 14. Verse 17, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Alright. Let me take, just for clarity's sake, and sometimes I, I think things get over really quickly and I realize at times they don't. So I'm just going to... Some of you who already got this, it's okay. Others, it might help. I'm going to put last week's sermon together with what I'm trying to say this week. When we open up to Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, on the day of Pentecost, they, all those 120, are baptized in the Holy Spirit. And they are also filled with the Holy Spirit. What I'm saying in these two weeks is that the Holy Spirit comes in new birth, and thus the heart of us sinners responds to the Gospel with a heart of faith. We embrace it and say, I can't believe this is true, but it is, isn't it? And what happens essentially at the same time is, is a distinct work of the Holy Spirit called the baptism in the Holy Spirit that I tried to argue last week. That's all happening, boom. And what also happens at that time is you're filled with the Holy Spirit. That being filled with the Holy Spirit is something that goes up and down in the Christian life and you are to pursue it daily. The baptism in the Holy Spirit, that initial thing that's happened around new birth, is just a one-time experience. Make sense? Yeah. Oh, okay. Help you a little bit more. Just give you an illustration. You're watching the news and the sports comes on and it says, Player X has been acquired by the Dodgers. From another team. He has now been placed onto the Dodgers 
team, and they got a news conference, cameras are flashing, and they give him his jersey, right? So he's got his uniform there and his number, and everyone's all happy. It's all kind of happened at the same time. Well, over the next five years, Major League Baseball, they got a lot of money. His mommy's not going to be sewing his uniform up. He's just going to, they're going to be throwing it away and giving it away. He's going to, they're going to be keep giving him uniforms all the time. Every time he puts on a new uniform doesn't mean that he is being put back onto the Dodgers team. He's on the team. When he was put on the team, it's like being baptized with the Holy Spirit there with new birth. When he puts on new uniforms, he's not being re-put on the team. That's the filling of the Holy Spirit throughout the Christian life. So, in the context of post Azusa Street Revival, Pentecostalism, Charismatic Movement. Look, Christendom is pretty big, okay? And some of you have had these experiences. And if, if my mother-in-law were here, she might ask you, uh, have you ever been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Don't answer her. Unless you first clarify, what does she mean? Okay. So, so when someone comes up to you and asks, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Don't assume you understand what they mean by that. This is a good practice in normal life, even for husbands and wives and friends and on any subject. Ask, okay, go ahead and define for me what you mean. And say the person says, well, what I mean is this, have you ever come to the place where you were so overwhelmed with the Holy Spirit of God that you could not help yourself, but you started speaking out in unknown tongues, languages, like they did in the book of Acts. Language or syllables coming out of your mouth that your mind does not understand. That's what I mean. Have you ever been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Well, well first of all, there are Christians who would say, well, I've had, I mean, yes, I've had that experience. And there are Christians who say, no, I've never had that experience. Whichever person, whether you've ever had that experience of tongues or not, every Christian should answer that person, hold on a minute. If you were saying that the baptism in the Holy Spirit means that all who are baptized in the Holy Spirit will speak in an unknown tongue, that I think your understanding is just plain unbiblical. It is not true that those who have never spoken in tongues are, have never been baptized in the Holy Spirit. I'm going to put a parenthesis in here for a moment. Having said that, I have found in Scripture, no reason to discount the reality of speaking in other tongues that it will or will not be expected today. That is not a comment on Pentecostalism or the charismatic movement or anyone's experience. Period. I don't... What, what, there are lots of people who claim today to speak in tongues. I am making zero comment on whether that is that biblical thing called tongues. That's not my purpose at this moment whatsoever. 
So if you think I'm saying that, you have misheard me. I am saying as a biblical exegete, wanting to go to Scripture and to bring up what is the intended meaning of Scripture, that I disagree with some solid biblical teachers on this issue who some say the gifts of the Spirit, like the word of the knowledge or prophecy or speaking in tongues that you see in 1 Corinthians, they have ceased with the first century and the dying out of the apostles. Why do I disagree? Because as I listen to their arguments and look at the same Bible, I don't see it. That's why. That's such simple is that I want to be a Bible guy. Now watch me. People I disagree with in the church on that issue also want to be Bible guys. I have a conscience that hopefully, if it remains steadfast, it won't allow me to say things that I'm not convinced of in the Bible. Okay, and I hope that's true for, for, for you. L- let me give you an example of, this is the age we live in, and the, the imperfection doesn't happen. And Let me give you an example. I think that Pastor John MacArthur... Many of you know him because he's an internationally known radio Bible preacher for the last 30 or more years. I think Pastor John MacArthur wants to be a good biblical exegete, Bible interpreter. And I also think his close friend, R.C. Sproul, wants to be a good Bible exegete, interpreter. Well, here's reality. John MacArthur listens to his close friend R.C. Sproul and, and reads what he says about the biblical doctrine of water baptism. And he sees R.C. Sproul argue for infant baptism. And John MacArthur comes away saying, I don't see it. <laughs> oh, turn it around. R.C. Sproul listens, reads John MacArthur and says, I think You're wrong. Okay. Welcome to life. I want to be a biblical guy too. And so I end up agreeing with one of those guys, John MacArthur. I don't believe in infant baptism. I believe in believer's baptism. And I disagree with the other. Well, Those two guys do that and they still love each other. They still invite each other to each other's conferences to preach and to teach on various subjects. Well, it's the same with the issue of spiritual gifts, including tongues. I don't see, biblically, I don't care about anyone's experience. I could be convinced right now that no one has spoken in tongues since the first century. Irrelevant to my argument. I don't see in the Scripture where I should say, therefore it should never happen. That makes sense? See, when I, I read 1 Corinthians 13, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. When the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Now, 
I won't look at arguments. See? Some will say, Paul prophesied there, tongues are going to cease when the perfect comes. And the perfect has come. Sergio's teaching part two of the canon of Scripture. Well, the first century has to end before we get all the writings of the New Testament apostles. But once they're there, they're there. The perfect's come. There's no more need for these spiritual gifts. They had their time and they passed away. Now, if I thought that that was in Paul's mind and that's what he was intending to mean by words like that, well, then I would be a cessationist. But I'm just saying, I don't see it. Right or wrong, I don't see it. I want to be a Bible guy. R.C. Sproul wants to be a Bible guy. John MacArthur wants to be a Bible guy. And sometimes we end up disagreeing. But we've got to be or live with our conscience concerning Scripture. Alright, in parenthesis, go back. Person asks you, have you ever been filled with the Holy Spirit? What do you mean? Oh, here's a different answer. They say, well, what I mean is, have you ever come to be so overwhelmed with the truth of Jesus Christ, God who became a man, died for your sins and was raised from the dead and that that message became a treasure to you? Oh, if that's what you mean by baptism, yes, of course, I've been born again and baptized in the Holy Spirit. All of us believers who have embraced Christ, we have all been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Okay? Now what I want to do, I want you to turn to Ephesians. Chapter 5, it's a text I started with. I'm going to kind of re-say things and now hopefully with even more clarity using what Paul is teaching us in Ephesians 5. In verse 18, he says, Do not get drunk with wine. That doesn't mean use bourbon instead, okay? (laughs) And do not... Get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. Now, Paul writes this originally to the Ephesians. By implication, this command means if you've been a Christian for two weeks, pay attention to the command and obey it. If you've been a Christian for ten years, pay attention to the command today and obey it. If you've been a Christian for fifty years, this applies to you right here. He says, today, put on another uniform and play ball. Be filled with the Spirit. In the Greek, the word, be filled with the Spirit, be filled is a present tense imperative verb. You really want to bring out the, the flow of what Paul's doing here. He's saying, be being continually filled with the Holy Spirit. So, let's read now the whole context and consider what Paul is doing here. Start with verse 15. 
Look carefully then how you walk. It means how you live your life. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time. Because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine. For that is debauchery. Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Okay, Paul, what do you mean by being filled with the Holy Spirit? He gives us a context in which to understand it. He is contrasting being filled with the Holy Spirit with drunkenness. In other words, don't come under the influence of wine or alcohol. Why do people go to alcohol? Why do they go, two glasses, oh yeah, three glasses of wine, one more, let me have four glasses of wine, let me me have three shots of scotch, let me have twelve beers. Why do people go to alcohol to come under its influence? Think about it. The answer is in general, they want to medicate. They want to medicate and soothe over their anxiety, their frustration, their fears, their boredom, their pain. And they think, apart from coming under the influence of alcohol, happiness today, at least for a few moments, is unattainable to me. This is how I will attain it. So they think, if they drink enough, they will start to feel different. They will feel more light and better. And it works. A while. But Paul says in our text, don't go that way. He says that is really dangerous. Why? Because, look at your text, because of what he just said at the end of verse 16. Because the days that we live in are evil. In other words, we live in this present evil age. This age is filled with pain, suffering, sickness, unbelief, the daily temptation of the evil of this world wanting to captivate your heart, Christian, and cause you to be an idolater today. So Paul says, If you think going to alcohol is where you're going to really find your long-lasting happiness, you are really deceived. Look at Paul's logic. End of verse 16. 
The days are evil. Therefore, verse 17. Get it? Therefore what? Okay, follow him. The days are evil. Therefore, don't be drunk with wine. Okay, just follow the same thing. That's the negative. He's going to go to the positive. The days are evil. Therefore, be drunk with... I mean, excuse me. Be filled... That was on purpose, okay. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because the days are evil, don't be coming under the influence of what alcohol can do to your anxieties, but be coming under the influence of the Holy Spirit in your daily life. That's Paul's illustration. It's not mine. Think about how many millions of people wake up in the morning Alarm goes off. Get ready. Off to the office or to the fields again. They have no song in their heart. They're bored, purposeless. They feel it. The workday ends. Thank goodness. I can go to the bar. Give me one bourbon, one scotch, and one beer. Three people got that one. As George Thorogood would say. Why? Because they're almost going insane with why do I exist? I hate my job. Hate my life. But after one bourbon, one scotch, and ten beers, now they can sing. Now it feels like the weight of the world of that day has been lifted off their shoulders for the next couple hours with their friends. They can sing 99 bottles of beer in the wall, 99 bottles of beer. Paul points us here. And now, to say this, that's not the answer. Don't do that. But instead, be filled. Drink. Drink, yes. Drink the Spirit. Oh, and you will sing Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound. Not 99 bottles of beer. On the wall. You'll want to sing. Why? Because of what we saw earlier. Because you'll be more filled with joy. And the more filled with joy you are means your joy level is going up. And to the extent your joy level goes up, there's something that just really wants to express it. When you're filled with the Spirit and you come in here on a Sunday morning and the words are up there on the screen, amazing grace, you won't be able to Probably. Who knows about the psychological? But you probably won't be able to just say, Amazing grace, so sweet as hell. Save the wretch like me. There's something in you to the extent you're filled with the Holy Spirit who puts you more and more in touch with the reality of the Gospel. 
says, oh yes, amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved. And you're thinking, yeah, that's me, Joe. What a rotten. Ooh. But he saved a wretch like me. I was lost. Now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. And that's what Paul says. Is, Be filled with the Spirit. Oh, oh. Coming out of that in the Greek, singing hymns, songs, spiritual songs, making melody, this expression of the fullness. So let me try to be brief here. Let's contemplate for a moment four effects of being filled with the Spirit. Well, that's the first one right there. You will sing. Uh, even if you're like me, one of the worst singers on planet earth, there's a place in the church for people like me to sing because it's not about entertaining people. It's about my joy and my happiness and your joy and your happiness. So whether you're in a little living room or in an auditorium with 3,000 Christians or here this morning with 40 people, there's a place for people like me who cannot hold a tune to obey this command of being filled with the Holy Spirit, effects singing and making melody in my heart to the Lord. Because I need it. As David says in Psalm 42, as the deer pants for the water brook, just thirst at water, so my soul thirsty to drink of the water of the Spirit. So you come on a Sunday morning, bands playing, the words are on the screen, gospel words, Bible words, there's melody, and you're filled with the Spirit. You are the dear Drinking at the water brook. Enjoying Christ Jesus your Savior. Enjoying the Father all through the, the brook and the presence of the Holy Spirit who's filling you. If you fail to get up in time and prepare your heart on Sunday morning towards the Lord, to, to pursue being filled with the Spirit before you get here. You might come here utterly distracted. Your heart feels hardened. Songs play. Consciously, you, you oh my gosh, I'm not there where I was last week. Okay. As the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for you. You realize though, okay, this isn't good, but I know, like the deer knows, one mile up this way, that's where the water brook is. I'm going to move that attempt is worship. That is obeying. Okay. Be pursuing being filled with the Holy Spirit. That's how Paul says it. But be filled with the Spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. The second effect of being filled with the Holy Spirit is, we see it throughout the book of Acts, is speaking the Word of God boldly. That doesn't mean arrogantly or 
you know, in some really weird way. It just means boldness about the truth. Now you ask, where does that come from? Does that come from my personal experiential joy in God? Or does that come from being filled with the Spirit? We know the answer, right? Yes. That's, that's what we have seen. Pursue being filled with the Spirit so we'll be more helpful to others, to unbelievers, and even speaking the Word of God boldly to believers and each other. We will be more helpful if we pursue finding our heart's joy in Christ or being filled with the Spirit. Now, the third effect is what we see in verse 20 of Ephesians 5. Being filled with the Spirit, here's the flow. Being filled with the Spirit, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of Jesus Christ. Not merely giving thanks in all circumstances. Be filled with the Spirit giving thanks for all things. Paul tells us here that being filled with the Holy Spirit according to this text aims at destroying bitterness in your lives. It aims at destroying our sinful anger at God. How could my marriage have ended up like this? How could my children go that way? How can my body get this disease? How could my mind not work like it used to? To work? How can I I'd be dealing with a chemical imbalance? God, if you or God, why this? And he says, be filled with the Spirit, giving thanks. If you're a Christian, are you a Christian? Giving thanks for all things. To be filled with the Spirit means to have the Holy Spirit fill your heart with the ability to know that Romans 8.28 is true. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. And so Paul writes, Be being filled with the Spirit, giving thanks to God the Father for our all things. That spirit in filling is the key to fighting regret and bitterness. Not what I envisioned for my life 25 years ago. Why am I here? Wake up in the morning and say, God, your ways are beyond mine, and give thanks. For all things. That's the effect of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And the fourth effect, it's at the, the end of the text in verse 21. Now let me just show you something from the Greek text. 
there's one main verb here, and that is the imperative, be filled. Okay. Be being filled with the Spirit. That's the main verb being said. Coming out of that are three participles. Okay, okay. in Greek, the participles are these ing words here in English. Okay, What that means is, be filled, and then flowing out of being filled with the Spirit, is singing, giving thanks, and then the third participle, verse 21, submitting. Being filled with the Spirit is the power to submit. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And in the context of Ephesians, Paul will go on to, to explain what he means by submission in particular relationships that we may all have in life. In Ephesians, he just lays out three of them real quickly. A wife to a husband. Children to parents. Slaves to their master or employees to an employer. And there's all kinds of hierarchical relationships in life. And Paul says, you want to know the key to submit? Be filled with the Spirit. Alright. So, I've already, in one sense, given you an application, but I just want to talk longer, so I'm going to give you some more. That was a joke. And that is, we saw... Pursue on purpose your joy in God by trusting His promises. So let's just ask it again then. What is the take home? Paul tells us to do that. Okay, I wanna, I'm a Christian. I want to obey. I want to be about this in my life. Being about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Not, not be drunk with wine, but coming under the... the Real, tangible influence that my heart and my feelings and my desires and my affections so desperately need. What do I do? Well, Paul says essentially, don't go to the bar and drink up there. He says, drink over here. Drink the Spirit. And if you remember last week when we turned to 1 Corinthians 12, there, I want you to hear, the, I'm going to read the whole verse, but listen to the last clause of what Paul says. For in one Spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. Here it is. And we are all made to drink of one Spirit. Well, how do we drink the Spirit? Okay. Paul said it this way in answering that question. In Romans chapter 8, verse 5. Listen carefully. Those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. You see that? He just said... To drink of the Spirit, to walk according to the Spirit, okay? to live by the Spirit, Paul says, your mind, that the, your thoughts are involved in what it means to walk by the Spirit. 
there is a lot of false doctrine in evangelicalism. And one of the, I don't want to say that word, but, okay, just calm down. This idea that is so rampant that pits the mind against the heart is just utterly unbiblical. Do you want to, want to love Christ, brother? But think so hard about what Paul teaches us here. I'm not a thinker. Yeah, you are. You're even thinking while you're talking. You're, everyone's a thinker. You can't help but be a thinker. This is, this is not biblical, this idea that thinks there's this huge dichotomy between head Christians and heart Christians. There may be only so-called heart Christians. And it's not good. And there may be and are lots of so-called head Christians without heart. That's not the biblical model. Here, he says, you want to be a heart Christian? You want the Holy Spirit to affect you? Not negatively like alcohol, but alcohol affects you. And, and Paul is getting at this. It's not merely, okay, an intellectual thing, got my doctrine right, I don't feel, just, that's not what he's talking about. You will feel different. But he says, your mind is involved in it. The Christian mind is active. It's constantly drawing conclusions about life, about God, about the Gospel, about what we are doing or what we are not doing. It's using logic well or not very well at all. No one gets around it. We have mind. Question is, when you're walking by the Spirit, Paul's going to say this. That means you put your minds not on that, not on that, not on that, but let your intellect be attached to the things of the Spirit. Or, here's, here's another one. Here's how Paul says it in Colossians chapter 3, starting with verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, Here's, here's a verb now, okay? He's going to give you a verb, an imperative. Ready? He says, do this, Christian. Have you been raised with Christ? We've talked about new birth in here, right? A few weeks ago. Have you been raised up with Christ? Okay, here it is. Here's your life. Seek. Okay. You ever play hide and seek? Okay. Go, go looking. Seek the things that are above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Come on, help me, Paul. How do I do that? Read on. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Okay, I'm going I'm to assume that this means, again, the things of the Spirit. Okay. You seek here by thinking about the things of the Spirit. Now, what does that mean? Okay, I'm going to go seek the things of the Spirit. Some of you, like me, I've known very personally Christians that this is what they think the Christian life is. Oh, I'm going to go seek the Spirit. So you kind of go off alone and you sit under some tree all day. Don't bring, don't bring a Bible. But sit over there and, and just beg God to speak to you and have all kinds of thoughts. Maybe you do your little Christian New Age mantra. Or, I, I, I don't know. Words? My mind? No, I want to turn my mind 
off. Okay, and, and just feel. It's kind of like yoga, isn't it? Okay. I want to do words and sentences, propositions, statements of truth and how they're connected and they make logical arguments like in the book of Romans. Put that stuff in my mind. No, I want to be filled with the Spirit. I don't want that. Is that what it means to seek the things of the Spirit? doesn't mean that at all. I want you now to turn to 1 Corinthians. Chapter 2, verse 14, the Apostle Paul says this. The natural person... Now remember a few weeks ago we saw what that means is any of us human beings born into this world who are not yet born again. A natural person. We're children of wrath. The Holy Spirit has not regenerated us. We have not come to saving faith in Christ. And he says about them, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Because they, the things of the Spirit of God, are folly or foolishness to Him. And He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Okay. The last six minutes, let me just put all those things together again so you get the flow. We are supposed to be drinking of the Spirit. How? We see by using our minds. Setting our minds on the things of the Spirit is at the core of drinking of the Spirit. Now, what are the things of the Spirit? Paul here says, the natural person, the person who has not been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, doesn't accept those things of the Spirit. But what are those things of the Spirit? Paul is crystal clear about what they are right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 in the context. He says here essentially, the things of the Spirit are Paul's teachings that are written down for us now and the other apostles. Let's read the whole context slowly. Go back to verse 10. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. Now, we saw this a few weeks ago, but again, Paul doesn't mean you there. Paul is referring to the apostles. He himself is one as revelatory spokespersons on a par with the Old Testament prophets. This is the larger context. He says, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. Now, I know that what we're going to get, Paul here can be a little complex, okay? But God made him that way so that we would have more depth in our lives. But so go on. He says, For the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except 
accept the Spirit of God. Okay, we got you, Paul. Got you. Okay, cool. He's back to now what's happening here, and it's going to have to do with us drinking of the Spirit. Verse 12. Now we, meaning we apostles, have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Here's the key. And we apostles tell you what that stuff is. That's what he means. And we impart this in words. Not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Holy Spirit. Interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. And that's the context of verse 14 where we started. But the natural person, those things like Romans, the book of Hebrews, James, Matthew, those things, the natural person who does not know Christ does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Because they're foolishness to Him. And He's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. If you are born again, then you are baptized with the Spirit. So if you're born again and you are baptized with the Holy Spirit, God has given you a spiritual mind that is unlike the natural mind. I just can't understand any of this stuff. No, He's given you a mind by the Spirit that can To drink of the Spirit is to set your mind on the things of the Spirit which were delivered to us through the prophets in the Hebrew Scripture and through the apostles in the New Testament. Set your mind on the things of the Spirit and drink. In other words, go to the tavern, go to the bar every day and belly up by listening to the Word preached by reading the sentences and the paragraphs on the pages of your Bible. By thinking about what is written there. By being known by other Christians and having Bible discussions about the impact or lack of impact of the truth upon our lives as we encourage one another Every day, as long as it's still called today, so that none of us fall by the deceitfulness of sin. Drink, belly up. That's the process of being filled with the Spirit. Now, as long as I make this point clear, we all know you can be a PhD in New Testament theology and write commentaries on books of the Bible and never be filled with the Spirit. You can even do that and never having been saved by Christ. It's happened. So, when we say the Word, we don't merely, yeah, I did my reading, I heard a sermon, I got all this stuff in my head. You can do that and not be filled with the Spirit. So it is drinking of the Word and begging God, by Your Spirit, fill me. Soften my hard-heartedness right now. Okay, if that's not you, it's me. Okay, Boy, the way that I've been the last four hours at home, towards my wife or kids, I'm not filled with the Spirit. 
Oh God, let your truth, let that verse that's in my mind, let me as I meditate about God, let me drink at the bar. Bring repentance. Fill me. We pray and we worship over the Word. That's the process of drinking the things of the Spirit. If I have my worship leaders come. Father, I pray that relying upon your constant faithfulness of your word doing that which it calls for, that now in light of this morning and this sermon, you would do extraordinary things in our lives in this next coming week and weeks, in our personal experience with you and how it overflows and affects our loved ones, people in the workplace and on the street. Oh, would you fill us with extraordinary joy as our minds are amazed at the wonders of your holy word. And even now together in our closing time here as we sing do this. In Jesus' name, amen.